Father, we just thank you that we can just gather around together this afternoon around your word. And we thank you that your presence is already here. And we just say, Holy Spirit, just speak to us. Uh, just encourage us from your word and challenge us and uh, help us to live lives that will be pleasing for you. But let us not be settled and mediocre in our Christian faith, but help us burn with a passion for more of you. And we just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay, John chapter 7, verse 37. Uh, Now, on the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In 1972, I was in my second year of doing a degree in biotechnology at Massey University. I was in a microbiology class and the um, lecture theatres at Massey were no windows whatsoever. They were sort of set back and, and down. And the professor of microbiology uh, addressing the class said, Don James, stand up and tell everyone why you like water. Now, he had arranged for me to have a holiday job at the Auckland Wastewater Purification Plant. And it was a, a time when you're at when you're at school, you don't sort of really know what you want to do, or I didn't. And when I went through my first year at university, I still didn't really have an idea of what I was um, hungry, passionate about doing. But when I worked in this particular um, plant in Auckland, uh, I really started getting interested in water. I started getting interested in the environment. I started get, getting interested in, in industrial wastewater treatment. And uh, I had become a Christian the previous year. And so when he told me to stand up, I wasn't comfortable in front of people at all. And I was quite shy in the group. And I stood up and I just didn't know what to say. So I blurted out the first thing that came into my mind. I said, I like water because I was baptised in it. Everyone burst out laughing like that. Everyone burst out laughing. And <laughs> old Prof McDougal looked at me and says, that's only hearsay. And as soon as he did that, the lights in the lecture theatre, which were really bright, slowly dimmed. They went down to nothing and they held it like that for... its. It seemed like minutes, but it was probably only about 10 or 15 seconds. And then they slowly came up again. And everyone was absolutely quiet. (laughs) And they said nothing. (laughs) And Prof McDougal was flummoxed for words. (laughs) I didn't realise the impact that that event had till. Five years later, I'd um, flown down to Palmerston North 
to the Dairy Research Institute and the assistant director of the Dairy Research Institute, when I was uh, having a cup of tea with him, reminded me of that occasion. And he said, I still remember the time that God intervened in our industrial microbiology class. And I thought, wow, people picked up on that. You know, when God moves, when he intervenes in people's lives, it has a lasting impact. Uh, since that time, uh, I've had a great interest in, in water. As the technical executive of New Zealand Dairy, I had the responsibility for all of the water and wastewater treatment in the company. And it was a really interesting job, and it came at just a time when the New Zealand's water and soil legislation had changed. And... Uh, the people in dairy company didn't have much of an idea really how to effectively uh, treat their, their waste. And so uh, that began a real interest, which I have to this day, in the environment. But, you know, the Bible talks a lot about water. Uh, in the Old Testament, water or rain was often a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about water many times. In John 3, Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well and he tells her that he has living water for her and goes on to say, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. He's pointing to the well that they were uh, standing by. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So Jesus is talking about being born again of the living water, the Holy Spirit. And the passage that we read in opening in John chapter 7, Jesus equates the Holy Spirit to water, but this time Jesus isn't talking about a born again experience, but he's talking about being filled with the Spirit in such a way that the Spirit pours out of us like a river of water impacting all those people that are around about us. Now, we can't have rivers of God's Spirit pouring out of us unless it's poured into us in the first place. So I want to talk this afternoon about being filled with the Holy Spirit. John's Gospel records in John 20 verse 22 uh, that Jesus breathed on them, talking about the disciples, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, at that time, the disciples were born again of the Spirit of God. They had the Holy Spirit living within them. Uh, they were saved. They had a relationship with God. Uh, and yet Jesus goes on to say, there's more. There's more. You see, being born again of the Spirit is just the beginning. When you are born again and have made Jesus Lord of your life, you are saved, but you haven't got it all. It just makes you a candidate to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 verse 4 says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, this is Jesus, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And then when we go on and read in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, by the way, Pentecost gets its name because it was 50 days after Passover. All right, Pente. All right, 50 days after Passover. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And when Peter later addressed the crowd that had gathered uh, around, he said, These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So John, Joel spoke about it. It was for first fulfilled in the upper room on that day of Pentecost, but that prophecy wasn't just for 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> that prophecy was for us as well. Jesus knew that his disciples would not be able to fulfill his plans for them unless they were filled with the power from on high. So he said to them, don't really leave Jerusalem until you've received the power of the Holy Spirit. God hasn't changed. His plans and purposes for his church haven't changed. His love for the lost hasn't changed. And the way he works in and through people hasn't changed. And today, like never before, we need a Holy Spirit revival in our lives, in our church, in our city, in our nation. And our kids need to be filled with the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, after church last week, I was talking to a 13-year-old girl uh, and I was asking her how she was getting on at, um, at school. And she mentioned all these friends that she's had with gender issues. And I'm thinking, 13? I never had gender issues when I was 13. None of my friends had gender issues when we were 13. What's the world coming to? Our kids and our grandkids are growing up in, in a world that is completely different to the world that we grew up in, people. And they need the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives if they are not only going to be kept safe, but if they are going to succeed in living the plans and the purposes of God. Russell, do you want to just jump out there? Someone was at the front door. If you run, you'll be able to catch them. <laughs> Open it up. <coughs> Great. Every one of us needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit because God wants us to receive and live with and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that really makes a difference in our lives just as it made a difference in the lives of the disciples. Just think about some of the disciples. Think about Peter and what his life was like. One minute Peter is walking on water, the next minute he's sinking. One minute he's speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The next minute Jesus tells him, 
It's Satan who's inspiring him. You know, one minute he has his mind on heavenly things. The next minute Jesus tells him his mind is on earthly things. One minute he's cutting off a man's ear, protecting Jesus. The next minute he's denying Jesus three times. He's up, he's down, he's up, he's down, he's up, he's down. But after Peter is baptized in the Holy Spirit, he boldly stands up and preaches to the crowds and 3,000 are saved. The next, next day or during the next week, he goes to church and on the way at the gate beautiful, he comes across a, a beggar and the beggar asks him for some money. And Peter says, I haven't got any money. He says, silver and gold have I none. But what I've got, I'll give to you in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. And the beggar is healed. And as a result of that and the subsequent testimony of Peter, 2,000 more are saved. Wow. Wow. Peter changes from a person of instability to a powerful servant of Jesus Christ through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a New Testament phenomenon. While the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, and everyone has that available, you'll find that if you look in the Old Testament, specific people uh, received the Holy Spirit and moved in power and in might in those situations. Um, the Holy Spirit fell on David. He was so anointed that he could play his harp and demons would flee. That's anointed playing. There was Saul. There was Gideon. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled Elijah and Elisha to do mighty miracles. And that testimony is repeated throughout history. John the Baptist said, I baptize you in water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to you untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You know, every major revival that has happened throughout history has been a Pentecostal Holy Spirit revival. And the leaders have been full of the power and fire of the Holy Spirit. Uh, George Fox was a great preacher that was so burdened by his wayward children and the lack of power he had, he was a Catholic, uh, that he went to his priest and he asked what he should do. Well, one priest told him to get married and that would take care of it. <laughs> Amen, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another said, start smoking tobacco. <laughs> another said, join the army. Another said, try Habakkuk and hymns. Well, that was a more Christian one, wasn't it? <laughs> so, so what did George Fox do? He went out and fasted for 14 days. And he fell into a trance for another 14 days. And the power of God came on upon his life. And that was the start of the Quaker movement. D.L. Moody, the man who had 5,000 in his Sunday school, said that after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he preached the same sermons that he used to preach 
But this time, hundreds of people started to get saved. The difference, he said, was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The, the greatest need in our church is, is not more good sermons. It's not greater teaching or wonderful follow-up or better connect groups. Our greatest need is more of the presence and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. The Apostle Paul, talking to the Corinthians church, says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Jonathan Edwards, in July 1741, in Enfield, Connecticut, preached a sermon that led hundreds of people to repentance and salvation and really consolidated one of America's greatest revivals, which we call the Great Awakening. The sermon was entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Has anyone here read that? Yeah, a few of you. Oh, more than in the first service. Yeah. Um, it wasn't much of a sermon, really, was it? <laughs> I mean, if I was to preach that same sermon today, <laughs> most of you would walk out halfway through it. Uh, it... it it wasn't a sermon that would go down well today at all. But um, before he preached it, Jonathan Edwards had fasted for three days. For three nights he hadn't closed his eyes in sleep, but spent the time crying out to God for revival. He said, Lord, give me New England. Give me New England. Give me New England. And God answered with fire and poured out his Holy Spirit on Jonathan Edwards. Before Edwards even spoke, tremendous conviction fell upon his audience. Uh, during the sermon, which he read verbatim with difficulty under a dim light, he stuttered through the whole sermon, strong men and women cried and screamed for mercy, grabbing hold of their seats, some of the men, it said, were holding on to the pillars of the church for fear that at any moment they would slide into hell. Man, that's, that's powerful preaching. That's an anointing. Hundreds and hundreds repented and then found peace with God. The difference? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing of God. That's the fire of his Holy Spirit. And we need that anointing for ourselves. We need an outpouring of fire of the Holy Spirit in our city, in our church, in our lives. Ephesians 5, 17 says, Therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Literally, the Greek translates that last phrase as be being filled. In other words, it's an, it's an ongoing thing. It's not a get filled once and that's it. It's continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, more than that, if Jesus said to his disciples, you need this, you can't carry on without the power of the Holy Spirit, don't leave home without it. How much more do we need to have 
the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit continuously running through us. Many of the major denominations of today were started by men who were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Wesley brothers started the Methodist Church during a Pentecostal revival. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was wonderfully baptized in the Holy Spirit. And his, his hymns reflected his heart and reflected what God was doing in his life at that time. He wrote one hymn. Listen to this. Thou Christ of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. Thy blood-brought gift today we claim, send the fire. Look down and see this waiting host. Give us the promised Holy Ghost. We want another Pentecost, send the fire. (laughs) That's the founder of the Salvation Army. Do you think he had a hunger for more of God? Do you think he had a passion for the Holy Spirit? All 20th century revivals, which have seen millions born again, have been Pentecostal Holy Spirit revivals of power and fire. In the charismatic revival, it was the baptism in the Holy Spirit that changed people from a head knowledge of God to a heart knowledge encounter with Jesus Christ. And today we need the fire of God in our lives. When I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was like being born again, again. I wanted to convert everyone, including my parents. I, I had a meeting with our local Presbyterian minister because I wanted to convert him <laughs> and, and the Bible class leaders as well. I had a lot of Holy Spirit empowered enthusiasm, but I think I needed a bit of wisdom to go along with my newfound zeal. Today, I've got a lot more wisdom. But you know, I wish I had more of that Holy Spirit zeal that I had when I was first filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, fire has a tendency to go out unless it is fed. And many of us uh, have let the fire, the Holy Spirit, grow cold in our lives. So how can we receive the power of the Holy Spirit? As you study the Bible, and as you look at history, you'll find that the Holy Spirit comes primarily in two ways. And I want to encourage you to study the Word of God for yourself. Look through the Scriptures. Read through the book of Acts uh, and the last few chapters of John and see what the Bible is saying about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. As you look, you'll find there are two primary ways that people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Firstly, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is given through the laying on of hands. Acts 19 verse 1, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. When Paul placed his hands on them, The Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So we found a group of believers who didn't know anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But as soon as he found out that, he laid hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, We see the same thing happening in Acts 8 verse 14 through to 17. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. 
And then when um, Paul is talking to Timothy, it says, <coughs> 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you to fan it flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit often came through the laying on of hands. And while the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues, a heavenly prayer language, which oh, is so, so helpful in breaking through in the Spirit, tongues is just one of many gifts that the Holy Spirit brings. And 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 talks in more detail about some of the gifts of the Spirit and, and also Romans. Um, Romans 8, is it? And Romans 12, uh, they talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well. And Paul urged the Corinthians, he said, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Uh, over the years, I've found that desire and hunger for more of God is a key ingredient in receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, many times uh, when I was um, working on staff at Hamilton AOG, we had people during the charismatic move walk off the, uh, off the footpath. And I remember one lady in particular uh, came into the office. I said, how can I help you? She says, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'd never seen her before. So I began to reach out to lay hands on her. And before I even touched her head, she was flat out on the floor um, babbling away in a new tongue. Uh, I left her there for a few moments. Uh, after about five minutes, she got up to her feet, shaked my hand, walked out, never saw her again in my life. That was, talk, talk about supermarket religion. You know, come in, you want the Holy Spirit, boom, you get it. But it was desire and hunger for more of God that was the key ingredient. Secondly, the baptism of the Holy Spirit it's given an answer to prayer. The disciples in the upper room were all together praying when the Holy Spirit fell. Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Uh, you can pray for yourself, by yourself, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the old days, they used to have tarrying meetings where everyone would join together. They would pray corporately and they just kept on praying until the Holy Spirit fell. So these tarrying meetings would go, go into two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Everyone would pray, 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 and then the Holy Spirit would fall. Zena Thorburn told me that she was baptized in the Holy Spirit while she was praying. Uh, she wasn't praying for the baptism. She said that she just wanted more of God. And while she was praying, she just started speaking in tongues. She didn't really know what was happening, but she thought it might be this speaking in tongues that the Bible spoke about. She wasn't in a Pentecostal church. In fact, she was in a church that spoke strongly against anything of the Pentecostal experience. But God still had his way. Why? Because she had a hunger and a thirst for God. Okay? I was filled with the Holy Spirit in answer to my heart cry. At the time of my salvation, God poured out His Holy Spirit on me. I actually spoke in tongues about two weeks later. 
I received salvation and I received the Holy Spirit at the same time. Nobody prayed for me. God just did it in answer to my heart cry. You being filled with the Holy Spirit is your responsibility. It isn't the church's responsibility. It isn't mine. It's your responsibility. You need to seek God for yourself. But we will join with you and pray and lay our hands on all who want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit or who want a fresh baptism. And what we're going to do in in two weeks' time, we're going to have an encounter afternoon. So what we'll do is we'll probably only have a couple of songs. We'll do it differently. We'll let the kids go out early. And then instead of having a sermon, we'll just seek God. And we'll go through and see what God will do. So that's what we're planning for two weeks' time, okay? So spread the word. If you know of anyone who hasn't been filled with the Holy Spirit, and then after that, uh, we will anoint everyone with oil, okay, for a extra indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're planning. Isaac, you want to come? I love my mum. She was a great mum, but she had lots of struggles in her life. Uh, When I was born, she she had a breakdown. Um, Today we'd call it postnatal depression, but it was more than that. And she ended up in uh, Oakley Psychiatric Hospital in Auckland. And for the first year and a half, I was looked after uh, by my grandmother, largely, because Dad still had to uh, work. Uh, This, although she came out of Oakley and was medicated, uh, she had episodes all the way through my my childhood. Uh, Dad would see things changing in mum and he would put her medication in her cup of tea so she didn't know and that would settle her settle her down uh, mum was really really uh, dedicated to her kids I mean I, I remember at secondary school mum would get up with me at six o'clock in the morning and go up to the blockhouse bay tennis courts and play tennis with me for an hour before school that's dedication and she was just so great like that but it was pretty embarrassing uh, as a kid when mum was having a difficult episode I remember coming home from university one time to to see that um, mum had been up on the roof and she chopped our concrete um, uh, chimney down with an axe and (laughs) we laughed my brother and I laugh about this but the reality was, it wasn't really funny at the time, eh? It was, it was really, really, really difficult. Uh, when I got baptised in the Holy Spirit, as I said before, I tried to convert mum and dad and, and the local minister and, and everybody else around about me. Uh, but it actually lit a, a light. It lit a fire within my parents. Uh, Mum and Dad were good Presbyterians. Dad was an elder in our local Presbyterian church. They'd met at a Presbyterian camp. 
And they could see that they needed more in their life. Uh, one, one day they went along to a service in Auckland at the Mandalay Lounge that Bill Sabritsky was running. And mum and dad got baptised in the Holy Spirit. And you know, she never had another breakdown. Probably for 30 years till she died. She never had another breakdown. Now, I can't say exactly when she stopped taking her medication, but I do know that when, when Dad died, uh, she wasn't on any medication at all. And to my knowledge, she never took any thereafter. The Holy Spirit sorted her out. The Holy Spirit worked a miracle in her life. She hadn't gone to the Mandalay uh, seeking a healing. She had gone because she was hungry for more of God. And he met her, and he met her more than she expected. And that's our God. He's able to do far exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or even imagine. So this afternoon, hopefully I've stirred up something within you that will give you a passion to press in closer to God and to look at where you're at and say, perhaps I need more of you, Lord.